This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. The country is insecure, not east, northwest, southeast, and to some extent to south, south. That was David Awarawo, a professor of international relations at the University of Lagos, saying security should be the top priority for Nigeria's president-elect. Details coming up. Also, French President Emmanuel Macron heads to Africa. A new legislation in the United States calls for an overhaul of relations with South Africa. These stories and more on African News tonight. But first, our top story. In Nigeria, ruling party candidate Bola Tinubu has been declared the winner of the country's disputed presidential election. The Independent National Electoral Commission, or INEC, said late today that the former Lagos mayor captured 8.8 million votes in Saturday's election. His nearest rival was Atiku Abubakar, the opposition People's Democratic Party PDP, with 6.9 million votes. The Labour Party's Peter Obi notched 6.1 million votes. Tinubu will succeed President Mohamedou Buhari, who has served the maximum two terms. The election, no doubt, was marked by a lot of controversies. To give us more on the election news, my colleague Medina Dauda with VOA's House of Service joins me on the line from Abuja. Welcome to African News Tonight, Medina. Thank you very much, Yenis. How are you? I am fine, thank you. So, Medina, the currency debacle, voting machine problems, security concerns, religious and ethnic tensions. Still, we have a new president. So, what is the feeling? What is the mood in Nigeria today? Well, the mood of Nigerians today is a kind of divided mood, actually. People are half, you find them happy about the elections, that is those that are supporting the ruling APC. On the other side, people are protesting the election results, those that are more inclined and then the Liberal Party and also uh, the New Nigeria People's Party. You just mentioned the figures that all of these candidates got during these elections. And one thing I want to tell you, Johannes, is that... Um, all the three candidates, the three leading candidates, that is uh, Bola Ahmed Tinumbu of the APC, uh, of the PDP, and of course uh, Peter Obi of the Labour Party, all would have been said to have won in 12 states in Nigeria. Um, the only difference in the winning mode is the figures. If not, this election would have gone into a runoff. But as it is, Labour Party, the party of Peter Obi, who can third, are saying they are shortly. That is actually what is happening right now. So will this, do you think, go to the courts? Uh, will, do you foresee a rerun? 
Well, it is uh, too difficult to say right now because, you know, there are a lot of terminologies that the lawyers would use and possibly at the end of it, they may still declare the uh, uh, President Bola Ahmed Tinubu as the winner. If you remember, the present President of Nigeria, that is uh, retired Major General Mohamed Buhari, went to court at a point in his election years for 15 months. But at the end of the day, the, the, the sitting president was proclaimed as the winner of that election. So as it is now, we cannot really say if going to court is going to fetch anything tangible for anyone who is going to court. So uh, let's put all these uh, controversies to the side. Uh, having won the election, yes. Mr. Tinubu, what kind of a person is he? Uh, talk to us a little about uh, the uh, president-elect. Well, um, you know very well that the president was uh, one time the governor of one of the most popular states in Nigeria, which is legal state. Um, he declared for president uh, after he became 70 years old, you know. And then um, the uh, Bola Tinumbu is one person who is termed by a calculated person, which means he does not take actions until he calculates what the pros and cons would be. That's what. I- for me, I never stayed in Lagos. I didn't know much about his rule in Lagos. But the Lagos I know is far, far more transformed from when he became governor and uh, when most of those that he had put in place in Lagos have helped the state to become a very, very important state in Nigeria as one of the states that generates more revenue in the GDP of this country. Bolatinumbu um, so, is not uh, an extrovert. He's more of an introvert. If you ask him, part of his manifesto is, you know, taking care of the security situation in the country, making sure that the health situation of Nigerians are improved, making sure that universities do not go on strike anymore, making sure that students attend lectures when and when they should, you know. So these are part of the few things that he has said. Don't mind my not being verbose. I speak in a very short and simple term so that people would possibly understand what I'm trying to say about the legal state, uh, former legal state governor, who is now declared as Nigeria's fifth elected president since 1999. Medina Dauda with VOA's House of Service. Thank you for your input. Thank you very much. Have a great day. An international relations expert wants Nigerian President-elect Ahmed Bola Tinubu of the ruling All Progressive Congress to focus on three key domestic issues when he takes office. David Awarawo is a professor of international relations and strategic studies at the University of Lagos. He says Tinubu should focus on security, economy and national reconciliation. Awarawo spoke to reporter Mike Mbonye by phone. 
Security, security, security. Uh, because security is at the heart of the development that Nigeria and Nigerians seek. Um, the country is insecure, not east, not west, south, east, and to some extent to, to south, south. Um, there has to be coordinated, concerted effort to address, you know, um, these problems um, so that Nigeria will be secured. When Nigeria is secured, other things can then be built on it. Uh, there is not much you can achieve, you know, that will be enduring, you know, if uh, security, if the country is not secure. For instance, in the northwest, Nabu can go to farm. The other day, over 60 farmers were slaughtered in the northeast, and that scared others from going to the, you know, things like that. So security will be the first, uh, you know, priority you focus on. Then, of course, second, the economy. We can all see that the economy is not where it ought to be. The debts are, are mounting. The debts are so huge now, and they are mounting. Um, productivity is low. Um, uh, the industrial sector is not performing well. Uh, we have this subsidy that is taking, you know, a huge chunk of the country's, uh, uh, you know, earnings. So all of those will need to be attended to so that the economy can grow, and then the the, the, the well-being of Nigeria can improve, unemployment can reduce, and all that. So second is economy. And then third is bringing Nigerians together, reconciliation, as I talked about before. Nigerians are divided, and the division is, you know, uh, hampering development of the country. There's need to bring everybody on board, make everybody have a sense of belonging, run an inclusive government, and ensure that nobody is uh, made to feel uh, it, is not, it is not wanted, you know, within the system. On the foreign scene, sir, what should be the priorities of the administration of Ahmed Bolatinubu, uh, what should be the priorities of his administration on the foreign scene, uh, Incidentally, the line between the domestic and the foreign is getting more and more blood, arising from the intensification of linkages, you know, which have accompanied globalization. For instance, I talked about security within the country. Nigeria's government, Nigerians need support from the outside to be able to achieve it. So the foreign and the domestic are actually linked at, you know, uh, different layers, at different levels. Uh, but regarding focus, of course, Nigeria cannot run away from that focus on Africa, for instance. Um, Africa being the centerpiece of Nigeria's foreign policy. The Nigeria will need to, you know, we cannot run away from focusing on Africa being the centerpiece of the country's foreign policy. Uh, what Dr. Namdi Azikiwe over 60 years ago uh, described as uh, the historic mission and manifest destiny of Nigeria on the African continent. But because of the size of Nigeria, you know, in Africa and the number of blacks within Nigeria, over 200 million, uh, Nigeria must, you know, take responsibility for events in Africa. Uh, Africans and in the diaspora. Uh, then, of course, the concentric circle will still need to be maintained, in which the first layer of the circle are Nigerians, second layer, they are Nigerians' immediate neighbors, Chad, Cameroon, uh, Niger, Benin Republic. You know, this uh, insurgency that Nigeria facing in the northeast and now going to the northwest, collaboration with the, these neighbors is critical to ability to tackle the insurgency and, of course, the banditry. At least 22 people, including children, have been abducted from three villages in Northern Democratic Republic of Congo. 
Local authorities told the Associated Press that several armed men in white military uniforms attacked towns in Baseuli province on Tuesday. No one has claimed responsibility for the kidnappings, but the AP notes that the region was once a stronghold of a rebel group from Uganda, the Lord's Resistance Army. Some analysts say that the abduction does not point to a new rebel offensive, but indicates the inability of the government to protect citizens from violence by various armed groups. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. A bill has been introduced in the United States Congress demanding a thorough review of U.S. relations with South Africa. The legislation follows South Africa's military exercises with China and Russia, which have been condemned in the U.S. and Europe. Darren Taylor reports. Some U.S. politicians have grown increasingly frustrated by the South African government's refusal to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. President Cyril Ramaphosa's administration says it's neutral in the conflict. In Washington, Republican Congressman John James has submitted a bill that would require a review of U.S. relations with Pretoria. The demand is unreasonable. It goes against international relations, international law. Professor David Monia is a foreign policy expert at the University of Johannesburg. There is no way that in a normal international order, one country orders another to do and pursue its own wishes. Those days are gone. The second assumption that is made is that South Africa is a U.S. colony. If you are a colony, you follow suit what your master country says. And therefore, I think it's quite disturbing. He says if the bill passes, the U.S. would probably sanction South Africa in some way, and it could lose trade advantages it enjoys under the African Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA. The United States has enormous power. It controls IMF World Bank. The United States has power to influence the direction of these important multilateral institutions, including more than 600 companies that are in South Africa. And we have seen with the endless visitation by powerful U.S. politicians, that means this country is important to the United States. And so is the United States. It's very important to South Africa. Unfortunately, the domestic politics appear to be really disturbing this relationship. Professor John Stremlau, international relations expert at Wits University and a former U.S. government official, says the bulls shouldn't concern South Africa very much. There are only five moderate Republicans who sponsored this request for review, and it's important to note that under the U.S. Constitution, foreign policy matters are for the president, the executive branch, to handle. This uh, resolution, I don't think, could even pass the House of Representatives, frankly. He thinks the bill primarily symbolizes some American irritation that one of Africa's most significant countries isn't on its side in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. This bill, which I've read, is not only a fool's errand, it means nothing politically in terms of the immediate consequences on U.S.-South African relations. There is perhaps a growing concern about South Africa's so-called non-aligned policy as this war becomes more and more horrific for civilians in Ukraine and military assistance ramps up 
from the NATO powers once the Ukrainians had shown their tenacity to fight for their national self-determination. The U.S. bill was proposed as South Africa was holding naval exercises with Russia and China. South Africa's ruling African National Congress has maintained close ties with both Moscow and Beijing, which supported the ANC in the fight against the former racist apartheid government. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. French President Emmanuel Macron begins a four-nation tour of Africa today amid rising anti-French sentiment that saw French troops recently leave Mali and Burkina Faso. Macron will visit Gabon, Angola, the Republic of Congo and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Anika Hammerschlag speaks with security and rights experts on the growing regional opposition to French involvement and support for closer ties with Russia. J'en retirerai une seule exigence, celle de faire preuve d'une profonde humilité. Days before his departure, Macron announced France would be taking on a more deferential relationship with Africa that would require France to assume a profound humility in its dealings with the continent. As part of the new strategy, French military bases in Africa will transform into military academies, while others will eventually be co-run with African partners. Two of the countries Macron plans to visit, Gabon and the Republic of Congo, are former French colonies. Mahamoudou Savadogo is a security expert with Grenada Consulting in Burkina Faso. For a long time, France has been the object of criticism and rejection because its position has always been one of dominance, he says. But there is a new opportunity to be had. There are youth who have never known colonization, and there's a new paradigm that France must consider in order to improve the relationship with other states. France's military withdrawal from Africa will allow its former colonies to finally assume full statehood, he added. But as France has distanced itself from the continent, other parties have moved in. Private Russian military group Wagner has established a presence in Mali and the Central African Republic, where it has been accused of atrocities such as torture, rape, and executions. Aguibubuare is president of the National Human Rights Commission of Mali. He acknowledged the accusations against the Wagner group, but said it was up to the state to carry out an independent investigation to evaluate the allegations. For me, a country does not have friends. It has interests, he says. And any partner that can help us fight terrorism is encouraged. I'm not concerned about who that partner is, he says. Deaths linked to Islamist militants on the continent skyrocketed by nearly 50% in the last year to more than 19,000 people, much of it in the Western Sahel region, according to the Africa Center for Strategic Studies. Ahmed Yaqub Dabio is the president of the Center for Development and Prevention of Extremism in Chad. He said he blames France for the destabilization of Libya, which allowed extremism to filter into the Sahel in the first place. He says Wagner's arrival in Francophone Africa is the result of France's failed Africa policies. France has always supported African dictatorships. It has always turned a blind eye to human rights violations, he says. And France hasn't made the effort to radically change its policies. France would do better to support Africa via health, infrastructure, and education projects, Debio added. In his speech, Macron said he did not accept responsibility for the worsening security crisis in Mali and that he would not let France become a scapegoat. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal.
We'll have more on President Macron's trip to Africa in the coming days. Follow us on voaafrica.com. Technically, the U.S. First Lady has no official power, but on a recent five-day trip through African nations, Jill Biden flexed her popular appeal and experience as an educator and mother figure to shine a light on hunger and inequality and to ask a deeper question, who should run the world? VOA's Anita Powell traveled with the First Lady and brings us this report. There was none of the presidency's muscular, national security-driven approach on display, as First Lady Jill Biden smiled and hugged her way through Namibia and Kenya. Biden used hopeful words to touch on tough issues. We face many of the same challenges, from climate change to economic inequality to strengthening democracy. African voices, African leadership, and African innovation are all critical to addressing the most pressing global challenges and realizing the vision we all share. A world that is free. She also flexed her motherly muscles by bringing along one of her seven grandchildren and touting girls and women as engines of change. It's an uphill battle. As this South African series shows, transactional sex is the norm for young women, not the exception. That nation's president describes gender-based violence as a second pandemic. And girls are often excluded from education, as this Namibian girl was, when pregnancy forced her out of the 11th grade. And Kenya's first lady says many women in her country lack access to conventional finance. So they use informal lending networks like these, which don't have the protections or guarantees of banks and often traffic in smaller sums. President Joe Biden, who often calls himself Jill Biden's husband, said her visit shows his administration's strong commitment. She met with the presidents and first ladies of both countries. She spoke to more than a thousand young people, the first generation born out of apartheid in Namibia, and empowered them to as keepers of democracy. In Kenya, she met families affected by devastating drought and food insecurity and made worse by Putin's brutal assault on Ukraine. And it made it clear that America's commitment to Africa is real, And by choosing to hold all of her high-profile events with female leaders, Biden conveyed a message of her own, with this possible nod to Namibia's first lady, whose husband's second and final term ends next year. The future is female. It's always time to have a female president, no matter what country you're in. So I'm very supportive of women running for office. It's unclear whether the trip will result in new Africa initiatives or policy changes, but it could have other impact, analysts say. Karen Groen studies gender and economic issues at the Brookings Institution. Dr. Biden has been a role model, not only in the education field, but with everything that she's done in her capacity as um, First Lady. That gives hope to girls who uh, can grow up knowing that uh, there's many roles that they can take on uh, as adults and they can uh, move into fields that might have been denied to them. They might be able to get education. If nothing else, Biden's visit challenges a belief that still pervades, and not just on the mother continent, that being born a girl means you lose in life. Maybe it means you'll win. Anita Powell, VOA News, Nairobi, Kenya. The United States is increasing its military assistance to Somalia in its fight against one of the largest al-Qaeda networks in the world. 
It's also offering a reward to help find a key Al-Shabaab leader involved in planning attacks in Kenya and Somalia. The Associated Press says the U.S. has sent 61 tons of weapons and ammunition to the country, which has recaptured dozens of communities from Al-Shabaab extremists over the past six months. In a joint statement, U.S., Qatar, Turkey, Britain, and the United Arab Emirates say they will support Somalia's efforts to manage weapons and ammunition, which could allow the U.N. Security Council lift its arms embargo on the country. Also, the U.S. State Department says it is offering an award of up to $5 million for information leading to the capture of senior leader of Al-Shabaab, Ali Muhammad Raj, also known as Ali Dahari. In 2021, the U.S. government listed him as a specially designated global terrorist. The State Department asks anyone with information to contact its Rewards for Justice program via Signal, Telegram or WhatsApp. Relocation is possible for individuals whose cooperation helps to lead to his arrest. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Cornelius Tanner, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.